You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. When I started preaching here, when Pastor Robbie kindly invited me, I said to myself, I think sometime I should preach my sermon on tithing. And uh, then it happens that Robbie has invited me to preach next January 1st. I thought, oh, that'll be good because I could preach it beginning of the new year, a tithing sermon. But then I realized nobody will be here then. And uh, <laughs> it's okay, I understood that. But I was glad to come. And I thought, when I found out that I am invited for today, by surprise, I thought I should preach this today. So uh, bear with me. Um, if you are a tither, you're going to love this sermon. <laughs> if you're not, uh, we'll get people to pray for you. <laughs> it, could be, it could be that God could use this, and I certainly hope so. So I want to read to you from Malachi chapter 3. And I can't preach like Robbie, but let's see if I can do one thing he does. Word? Yeah. Half of you laughed and the other half did it. It's okay. Well, here we go. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. King James says, prove me. Prove me, says the Lord if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this His most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear, simple, I ask that this will be a life-changing word, and that this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I had a head start on the subject of tithing. Uh, my father taught me to tithe. I'll tell you how it happened. Uh, when I was 10 years old, I had a job uh, delivering the newspaper called Grit. I, I doubt many here remember Grit. Uh, 
you're not, you've got to be old to remember that. A little weekly magazine that came out of Williamsburg, Pennsylvania. My dad said it was his first job when he was 10. What was good enough for him was good enough for me, and he wanted me to, to, to get to do it. So I did. And uh, I delivered these newspapers to my neighbors in Ashland, Kentucky, and knocked on the door, would you like to buy grit? And uh, when I finished, came in, sat at the dining room table, and put all the money that I took in on the table. And then Dad got to figure out how much we had to send to Williamsburg, Williamsburg, Pennsylvania, and how much I got to keep. I earned 50 cents, and I was so proud the first money I ever earned. And about that moment, with the 50 cents, 10 nickels, my dad put his finger on a nickel and said, this, my son, is the Lord's. I said, this is mine. <laughs> no, this is the Lord's. I said, no. I earned it. I want it. It's mine. <laughs> this, my son, is the Lord's. Dad won. God won. I won. That was my introduction to tithing. Now, I have to say, many years later, uh, after Louise and I got married, owing to my inability to handle money. I'm ashamed to tell you, but I was in deep in debt. And I decided that one thing I wouldn't have to do is tithe. I figured God would understand I'm in debt. And the most religious thing I can do, uh, an honorable thing, is to pay my debts. And then I'll start tithing. Good logic. Two years later, we were deeper in debt. A year later, more in debt. I made the decision when we're in debt, I will start tithing. Well, I'm going to tell you something. We didn't get out of debt the following week. It took two years, but we got out of debt. And that was back in 1960. Uh, that would be 40, 20, over 60 years ago. I've been, I can honestly tell you, a faithful tither ever since. My father had this uh, belief. You could call it a mathematical incredulity. <laughs> he reckoned that the 90% that you keep for yourself, if you give God his tenth, the 90% will go as far as the 10%. That doesn't add up. He said, son, I think it even goes further. Well, that was the way I was brought up. And... Uh, and years later, when I uh, go to England, Louise and I invited to study at Oxford and uh, become minister of Westminster Chapel, I found out that, sadly, British Christians don't tithe. They just don't. And um, I was asked to, at, uh, originally to stay at Westminster Chapel for six months. Because we wanted to go back to America, and it looked like they wanted us to stay, but they said, give it six months. So I thought, well, 
in case God wants me to stay, I'm going to preach everything I can think of that they won't like so that they will know, so they can't accuse me later. We didn't know you believed that. And so I had a series of sermons on Jonah. And I thought, how am I going to get tithing in Jonah? Well, I did. And <laughs> they knew now where I stood. And they called me. And I, I preached it. I mean, not every Sunday, but it was something I believed in. They knew about it. I had one or two books published. And I had an idea. I did something. I've only done it once. I have a principle. I think any minister would have this. I don't invite myself to preach ever. And I don't ask to write books. But I did it one time. I called Hodder and Stoughton in Britain uh, and said, I want to write a book on tithing. Silence. <laughs> did we understand you? You want to write a book tithing? Yep. Well, we'll come back to you. A week later, they said, now look, if you want to write a book on tithing, will you buy a thousand copies? I said, yeah. I said, okay. That way they'll get their money back. They, they, they just think it wouldn't sell at all. And uh, so if you'll forgive me for name dropping, but I, I got in touch with Billy Graham and he wrote a wonderful statement about my book. Sir Fred Catherwood, president of European Parliament. John Stott, well-known in Britain. And I want you to know the book sold and resold and resold and resold. Sold in America, went in various translations. It's still in print. Well, that is the experience I had. And uh, so... I've learned this. Tithing is something that people would do if they knew about it. I'm surprised how many people just don't know. Uh, we have a saying back in the hills of Kentucky, if a fellow says it ain't the money, it's the principle, it's the money. <laughs> and so Voltaire, the French atheist, says when it comes to money, every person's religion is the same. John Wesley said, the last part of a person to be converted is his wallet. Well, this is a test today. Now, I've got a feeling, if I'm honest, that most of you don't even need this. And I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. But I, I felt led. I really do think I'm supposed to bring this, and I, I want it to be a blessing. Uh, the man that put us through Oxford University paid the whole tuition was a man by the name of Harlan Milby, now in heaven. And uh, we were out fishing one day in the Florida Keys. I do a thing, used to, called bone fishing. It's my hobby. And uh, I said, Harlan, God has blessed you. I mean, he founded two life insurance companies. I said, how did it happen? He said, oh, RT, it's very simple. He said, right after Olive, as his wife and I married, we were in debt deep in debt. And I came across the promise in 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. Them that honor me, I will honor. Them that honor me, I will honor. And we started tithing. The rest is history. Well, I don't want to give the impression that 
if you're not tithing, you start tithing, that you're going to be the starter of a, a life insurance company. But as my dad would say, you cannot outgive the Lord. After Louise and I were married, uh, my grandma McCurley uh, bought us a brand new white Bible. And I put the Bible on the uh, dining room table. And in those days, uh, I wasn't able to go into the ministry at that time. We owed so much money. And I was a salesman. And I was earning a little bit of money. And I remember coming in one day. I hadn't made a sale. And I was discouraged. And I saw my grandmother's Bible on the table. And I said, Lord, I choose to believe that when I walk over to the table, wherever it's open to, is going to be a word from you to encourage me, make me feel better. So I walked to the Bible, and eyes looked right down on these words. Will a man rob God? You've robbed me with withholding tithes and offerings. That did not bless me. I closed the Bible, sat down in front of the TV that we owed for, and said, I wanted something to encourage me. But that was God's way. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, a, a discouraged church doesn't need comfort. It needs doctrine. And that's what I needed. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to assume you know nothing about this subject. I'm going to preach as simply and clearly as I know how to introduce it, that you know nothing. Let's start with this. Tithe means one-tenth. And so tithing your income means you give God one-tenth. Now Leviticus 27.30 says, the tithe is the Lord's. That's the way God looks at it. So if you earn $10, a dollar is His. He puts you on your honor to give it back to Him. If you earn $1,000, $100 is His. But he's, unlike the internal revenue, they, they, they get it. They collect it. God doesn't do that. He puts you on your honor. If you learn, earn a million dollars, a hundred thousand is his. So if you don't give him his, you're robbing God. So if you earn a million dollars and give God 50,000, you still owe him 50,000. You're robbing him. Well, you may say, but if I give 50000 that's more than almost anybody gives. But you see, that is not the way God looks at it. And so, this is the beginning. Now, I want to put to you why I think Christians don't tithe. And I've found this out. Some Christians... In fact, many Christians don't tithe because they haven't been taught. And they're ready. And so I found out at Westminster Chapel where never been taught ever. It just wasn't done. Uh, I started teaching it and the people were giving. And everybody was surprised. Look, the income's going up. And it just seems to be that way. They haven't been taught. 
And 25 years later, when we felt led to retire, come back to America, they had a farewell service for us. The place was packed, Westminster Chapel. They come by to say uh, goodbye. And many came by to shake my hands uh, with Louise. I was amazed. One after another said, thank you for teaching us to tithe. Well, that was one thing that uh, I had some minor contribution in Britain. Uh, when I was a pastor of Lauderdale Manors Baptist Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, one of our men, his name was Bill Webb, he came up and says, uh, Pastor, could I tell you how we started tithing? Sure. He said, we come from Detroit. And our pastor made a deal with all the members. He said, I want every member to tithe for three months and then forget about it. So we started tithing, uh, and we tithed for the three months, but we've been doing it ever since, and that's 20 years ago. It's just interesting how people need some motivation. Now, on the other hand, I find those, I don't know that there would be anybody here like this, but we had them at Westminster Chapel where they're very theologically acute and they would say, look, uh, we don't tithe because tithing is under the law. And it's a misunderstanding of the law that I think maybe some people, at least they're looking for an excuse because they would love not to have to do it. And so their way would be this. We're not under the law and tithing, like in Malachi 3, yes, that was said during the period of the law. So they said, that's not relevant for us. Well, What's the answer to that? The answer is that Malachi 3, 8 and 10, though written during the parenthetical time of the law, uh, here's the, the background. Abraham was the first tither. This was in 1700 B.C. And here's what happened. His nephew, Lot, uh, foolishly pitched his tent towards Sodom. And Abraham got caught in a crossfire between the king of Sodom and other kings. Lot ended up losing both his possessions and his freedom. Word of this got back to Abraham, who proceeded at once to rescue his nephew. The success of Abraham with his 318 trained men was phenomenal. And out of the blue comes a mysterious figure called Melchizedek. And Abraham voluntarily gives Melchizedek, king of Solomon, 10% of the money that he collected when he defeated the kings. Here's the point. What Abraham did, he did out of gratitude. And it was done voluntarily. And it turns out that Jacob gave a tenth. In other words, tithing began with the patriarchs way back. The law comes in in 1300 B.C., 400 years later. Because of the sins of Israel, God stepped in and gave not only the Ten Commandments, ceremonial law, uh, civil law, and now you had to do it. Abraham did it because he wanted to do it. From then on, from 1300 B.C. until Jesus died on the cross, 
was the parenthetical period of the law. Well, what the New Testament teaches is that when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the law. Included, he tithed for us. Uh, Jesus literally kept the law perfectly so that when we receive him as our Savior, his righteousness is put to our credit. And so we don't have to tithe. It's a fact. And I want you to know right now, tithing will not get you to heaven. It won't even help you. In fact, it could hurt you. It, how could it hurt you? Well, it would hurt you if you think it helps because you would be competing with the reason Jesus died on the cross. He paid your debt, and so we are not under the law. But here's what people might forget. By being in Christ, we go back to Abraham. This is the teaching of Romans, Galatians, and the gospel was given to Abraham. Jesus and Abraham saw my day and was glad. And so, as Christians, we're justified by faith, like Abraham. And so, Abraham becomes our model. We're not under the law, but we're back to Abraham, who did what he did out of gratitude, to be thankful. How did Abraham know to give 10% to Melchizedek? There's only one answer. It was revealed by the Holy Spirit. This was God's plan, the way the gospel would be supported. And so, this is the thing. It's the biblical pattern. Tithing is God's idea. Abraham started it, and Abraham is our model. My friend O.S. Hawkins uh, wrote a statement. I've written that book, Tithing, that I told you about. Uh, it's still in print, by the way. And here's O.S.'s quote. The principal hindrance to the advancement of the kingdom of God is greed. It is the chief obstacle to heaven-sent revival. It seems that when the back of greed is broken, the human spirit soars into regions of unselfishness. I believe it is safe to say that where there is no continual revival, uh, then without hilarious giving, uh, this is the thing. They go together. But he went on to say, I fear no contradiction. Where there is hilarious giving, there will be revival very soon. Well, I want to give five reasons we should tithe. Number one, Jesus endorsed it. That's all I need. He endorsed it. We want to do anything he says. But it's very interesting. If you want to have a little bit of fun, read the 23rd chapter of Matthew and see how Jesus poked fun at the Pharisees. I mean, he picks them to pieces. It's kind of funny. But And everything he says, he picks them to pieces. There was only one thing, only one thing, that the Pharisees did that Jesus could compliment. You know what it was? They were tithers, and Jesus said, that was good. You should have done that. Just let you know how Jesus endorsed this. Uh, I, I wonder, where would missions be today 
if Jesus had not made that endorsement. Okay, that's the first reason. Second reason, the Apostle Paul assumed it. You see, he was brought up under the law. He knew the law backwards and forwards. And so, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, he says, you come on the first day of the week and you give according to the way you've been prospered. You see, that's the tithing principle. Let me point out something you may not have thought of. When you go to uh, the gasoline pump, uh, you pay, what is it, $3.50 at the moment, maybe $4. Uh, if you're poor, that's what you pay. If you're rich, that's what you pay. You go to Kroger or Publix, you pay the same thing for a pound of, of ground beef as the rich man. The rich man, he gets it for whatever the price is at the moment. The poor pays the same. In other words, rich and poor, we all live in a society, and it costs. It's not always fair. But tithing is the fairest principle in the world because God doesn't look at the amount. He looks at the heart. And the reason is that God has said the tithe is mine. The tithe is the Lord's, and you give him what is his out of gratitude. It's a way of thanking him. And so it's the fairest system in the world. And God doesn't bless you because if you're a well-to-do person and you can give more, you think, well, what I do is really what keeps the church going. God doesn't like that at all. God will bless that person that can only afford to give a tiny bit. That's hard for them to do. I'll tell you something. When I was at Lauderdale Manors Baptist Church, I had an experience that I don't guess I regret it, but it was questionable what I did. Here's the story. The treasurer came in one Monday morning and said, R.T., would you watch the money that came in yesterday? I've got a, an errand to run and just look after it. I, so I stayed in the treasurer's office and... Uh, after she left, I looked at that money, and it was mostly checks. And I did something maybe I shouldn't have done. I looked to see who gave what. And I got the shock of my life. I saw from that, and I think it's probably a principle everywhere. The tithers were the widows the divorcees, women who worked hard and they tithed. The men that were making a lot of money were given about half. Half. And they thought, well, what I give, if everybody would give it, we'd be better off. And they looked at it that way. It's my money that's keeping the church going. And that is so wrong. I want you to know the poorest person here if you give a dollar out of $10 you earn, that will honor God more than the well-to-do man that gives thousands, tens of thousands, but far less than God would say is his. Well, that's the principle. And so tithing is the fairest principle in the world. Here's another reason you should tithe, because of what it will do for the work of God on earth. In Britain, I pointed out to them, 
They're in financial trouble there. Maybe the church is in America. But it, it's, it's the solution nobody thinks about. If everybody would tithe, the Church of England, the nonconformist churches would all have more than they can handle. And missions would be supported, everything. It's the tithing nobody, it's the solution nobody seems to think about. Another thing, what it will do for God. So what are the reasons? Jesus endorsed it. Paul assumed it because of what it will do for the work of God and what it does for God in heaven. It honors Him. It pleases Him. I would urge you, get your satisfaction not from when God is pleasing you, answering your prayer, giving the rise and pay, but when you tithe, you may not feel a thing. And I know what it is to tithe when I think this week I could sure enjoy my own tithe. But I found out you just do it because it's right. And so the way to make it happen, you take it off the top. Many people, they pay their bills, and then if there's anything left, they tithe. And 90% of the time, well, this week we won't do it. The thing is, when Malachi says bring the full tithe, that means you keep records. And when you don't go to church, you say, well, I won't tithe today. No, you double up when you go back. This is bringing the full tithe. This honors God. But I could have put this last one first. Many would have put it first. But why should you tithe? Because of what it does for you. Let me tell you what the Apostle Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the word cheerful comes from a Greek word that means hilarious, the point O.S. Hawkins made in his statement about tithing. And so God honors you, not because you do it grudgingly, but consider it a privilege. And by the way, there'll be no tithing in heaven. For many, there's been no tithing here on earth. But this is a chance to show gratitude to God, and that's the origin of tithing. One of our members in Fort Lauderdale, his name was Bob Walker. And he wanted me to know, he said, to Pastor, I just want you to know, I don't tithe, I give $5 a week. There's a lot of money then, back in 1968, 69. He says, I reckon if everybody gave $5, our church would have more than ever. I said, fine. I don't push it. And then a year later, to my surprise, he said, oh, I think you'd like to know I've started tithing. Good, good. And then he added something. Here was his testimony. These are his very words. We've been tithing now for quite a while, and to my surprise, we haven't missed it. That was his testimony. He didn't say we, we bought a, a Cadillac. He just said, I thought we would miss it. I didn't think we could make it. He says, we haven't missed it. But my dad would say, the 90% goes as far. And as I said, he would think, it goes further sometimes, son. 
Well, that was the way I was brought up. But now the question is, where should the tithe go? So you've made $10,000, got $1,000 belongs to the Lord. Where do you put it? Malachi tells us. Let me read it. Bring the entire full tithe to the storehouse. What's the storehouse? Ask any rabbi. It was the local synagogue. Where should the tithe go? To your local church where you're a member. This is where it goes, where you're a member. Now, if you have more money after the tithe and you want to give more, well, it's not going to hurt if you give it here, but the point is, that's the time to give to the Gideons, uh, to Billy Graham. Uh, in other words, the one-tenth always to your church. And if you want to give more, go wherever you like. But that's the principle. Above the tithe would go to good organizations. Well, I don't know if you know this. I was brought up in the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, I went to Trevecca years ago. I was named after my father's favorite preacher, Dr. R.T. Williams, General Superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene. He told this story that there was a millionaire Nazarene businessman who actually made $1 million and gave $100,000 to the church and had receipts to prove it. And then he went bankrupt. And his friends and his relatives all came and said, well, I bet you're sorry you gave that $100,000 to your church. Oh, he replied, that's the only amount I kept because that went to heaven. You see, when I tithe, I'll be frank, I'm giving it to God. I, I'm happy to give it to Long Hollow, happy to give it. But I don't see it quite like that entirely because God's watching. And you're laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, I wonder if you've thought about this. I, I kind of mentioned it when I read the Bible a while ago. The King James Version uses an interesting word, prove. God says, prove me herewith. This is the King James, Malachi 3, 8, 9, and 10. Prove me and see if I will not pour out a blessing beyond what you're able to contain. Now, in seminary, uh, we learn uh, from in apologetics what are called the various proofs of God. They're philosophical proofs. There's the ontological proof of God. There's the cosmological proof of God. There's the teleological proof of God. Try to show that there is a God. You know what? The Bible, whole Bible, God's book, one time... <laughs> uses the word prove. And it's not talking about philosophical argument. It's saying, prove me, says the Lord, and see if by giving your tithe, I will not pour out such blessing that you won't be able to contain it. And you can say to anybody, I can prove God, not by philosophy 
or using wise, brainy thoughts, but tithe is the Lord's, and you give him what is his, and he blesses you. That proves, this is Malachi's way of proving there is a God. Watch how he blesses you. Watch how he blesses you. Prove me. The only time the word is in the Bible. You may have heard of Dr. W.A. Criswell. He tells this story. A man said to a pastor, how many members in your church? He said, uh, 150. How many of your members tithe? He said, 150. Really? 150 members, 150 tithers? Yep. He added, he says, half of them give it to God, and God takes it from the rest. <laughs> John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, had a little poem. Not many know about it. There was a man, some called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. But as I said, tithing won't get you to heaven. But what will? A few years ago, I was scheduled to preach in Durban, South Africa. And the pastor said to me, he said, RT, I just read your book, Tithing. I was in a Singapore airport. And uh, he said, would you preach your sermon tithing when you come to us? I said, sure, glad to do that. So I did. And this is 10 years ago. In the middle of my sermon, I thought, oh dear, how will I close the sermon? I can't say how many will tithe from now on. I can't do that because if some stand, those that are not standing will be embarrassed. It will show that they weren't tithing or whatever. And it hit me to say this. And here's the way I close the sermon. Tithing won't get you to heaven, but what will? And then I gave the gospel, and that's the way I want to close right now. Tithing won't save you. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? If you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, he might. Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Think about it for just a moment. You're standing before God and you'll stand alone. You won't have anybody there to whisper the answer. You'll have to come up with it. You don't give the right answer. You have to go someplace else. You don't, you don't want to go there. So what would you say? God says, why should I let you in? If it hasn't already come to your mind because Jesus died for me, if you didn't think that already, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But if what did come to your mind is that you've tried to live a good life, trusting your baptism, trusting your good works, that won't save you. There's only one thing. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you didn't give the right answer a while ago in your heart, I want you to pray this prayer. You don't need to say it out loud. God will hear you. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I know I'm a sinner. 
I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. And as best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? I wonder if anybody prayed that prayer. If you did, I have a question. Are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? Why do you ask, R.T.? Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. But if you prayed that prayer, I want you in the next 10 seconds to stand up. See, in front of all these people, yep. Five, four, three, two, one. Stand to your feet. Here they are. Yes. Can't see so well from here. The lights in the balcony. Yes. Now, you've prayed the prayer and you've confessed him openly. If you've never done this before, here's what you should do. Quickly, before everybody starts moving around, come out and go over to this part of the auditorium and stand. A member of, of the church will be there to help you, show you the next step forward. Heavenly Father, I ask you to accept this sermon, bless it, apply it by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.